0: Even after Angela Swantek's brief visit to Dr. Fata's office, she ended up joining another oncology practice in downtown Detroit. It still hadn't cut down on her commute. Then Angela got some good news. The practice announced that they were expanding. They would be opening another location in a brand new state-of-the-art facility in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Angela got to transfer there. And she was thrilled, finally, an office closer to home. A few months into the job, she heard that their office would be getting a new neighbor.
1: Oh my God, who is down the hallway? Is Dr. Fata.
0: Months had passed since Angela reported Dr. Fata to the state of Michigan. She wasn't sure how the process worked, but she figured that surely someone would reach out to her for more information.
1: I made sure that I put all of my contact information And like I said, I I made some pretty serious allegations against him. So I at least would have thought that somebody would have called me.
0: Meanwhile, at her new job, Angela would have to walk past Dr. Fata's office to get to her infusion room every single day.
1: His waiting room was jam-packed every day, all day long. It was insane. And I, I, I would just shake my head and I would... A couple of times I thought, I really just want to run over there and poke my head in and say, you people need to get the hell out of here.
0: Finally, in May of 2011, a
1: letter from the licensing office arrived in the mail. Of course, I immediately thought, oh, shoot, is there's something wrong with my license? When she opened it, she
0: saw Dr. Fata's name and her name.
1: The first thing that stood out to me was the fact that they spelt my last name wrong. And I thought, okay, um, it's not a very difficult last name to spell. She read on. Some time ago is how they started the letter. Some time ago, you filed an allegation. Some time ago? Try a year ago. They said that they did an investigation and they found no violation of the Michigan Public Health Code. And the case was closed. There was no more detail in the letter, but Angela had Questions. It took you 13 months to respond to my allegation. Where was this letter? Was this letter sitting unopened on somebody's desk?
0: The agency didn't respond to a request for comment. Most states don't have a great track record for Dr. Discipline. But the year Angela got that letter, the watchdog group Public Citizen ranked Michigan in the bottom half of all states. Angela Swantech had alleged that Dr. Fata was engaging in insurance fraud, but it would turn out that insurance fraud was just the beginning.
2: We are pleased to have Safe as our presenting sponsor. U.S. News & World Report named safe best overall home security of 2020. But how did they earn that title? By giving you serious, lasting protection. And all it takes is a simple 30-minute setup. With SimpliSafe, you get an award-winning arsenal of sensors and security cameras that blankets every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in no time at all without any tools or wiring, which means no technician or salesperson has to step foot in your home. Once you're all set up, SimpliSafe will monitor your home around the clock. If there's an emergency, they'll immediately send help to your home. And here's something I did that eases my mind. Add SimpliSafe to your phone's contacts. If they call, you'll know it's them and can answer immediately. With Simply Safe, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and no installation costs. Right now, visit simplysafe.com/doctor and get a free security camera plus a 60-day risk-free trial with any new system order. There's nothing to lose. Go today to simplysafe.com/doctor. That's simplysafe.com/doctor.
0: From Wendry, I'm Laura Beal, and this is Season Two of Doctor Death. This is episode two of six, King Midas. Join Wondery Plus now to listen to Dr. Death's season two ad-free in the Wondery app. Four months later, in September of 2011, Dr. Fata's practice hired a new office manager, George Karadche.
3: I was born in Detroit, uh, living near... Uh... Actually, Motown uh, on West Grand Boulevard.
0: George was in his early 50s, tall with dark hair and glasses. He had worked in healthcare care for more than 30 years. And from an early age, health care was very important to him.
3: I used to play on, this, on the lawn of Henry Ford Hospital when I was a kid, and I often wondered what was inside. What did they do there?
0: Before his interview, he'd never heard of Dr. Fata. But of course, he knew all about Crittenden Hospital, where Dr. Fata sent his patients. It had a reputation for serving a posh clientele. George was honored to accept Dr. Fata's offer. The scale of the office was bigger than anything he'd managed before. He knew that a lot was expected of him, but he was excited to be part of it all. The position was a rare find, a six-figure salary, which is a lot for an office manager, great healthcare coverage, a 20-minute commute, For his first day at his new job, he left his house early enough to leave plenty of time to get settled.
3: put my best suit on, and as Dr. Fata said, you know, we're very formal here. And so I I remember driving to the clinic, and I saw it for the first time on the outside. And that's a sight to see. It was grand on the outside.
0: With its covered porch and tinted windows, on the outside, Michigan Hematology Oncology didn't look much like a healthcare center.
3: It looked like some sort of ski lodge, some some resort you would see on the side of a mountain where the rich and famous went to doing their winters. So I I like going, this this is incredible.
0: The parking lot was already packed with cars. When he made his way to the front of the building...
3: I opened the door and I was just in awe. I was in awe in so many different levels. The opulence of the center, 50-foot ceilings, grand piano, artwork on the walls something that you would normally see at the detroit institute of art
0: the soft lighting the waiting rooms that were filled with fine furniture it all looked more like the lobby of a swanky hotel
3: it was supposed to be the jewel of crittenton hospital's outpatient center and it really was
0: he looked around at the staff doctors nurses from other hospitals and universities all in crisply ironed uniforms Remarkable, George thought, to see so many people from different disciplines all there to care for patients. Though George was new to the field of oncology, he wasn't a stranger to cancer.
3: My own mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I was taking care of her while I was working for Dr. Fada. So I know what it's like to be given that news in a patient's room and to go through the caretaking of a patient. And I really believed in the field of oncology and hematology.
0: As he was looking around, taking it all in, George started to feel a bit nervous. First day jitters. But he realized that he, too, got to be part of this impressive operation, working alongside folks that were saving lives.
3: I closed my eyes, and I said to myself, remember this day. Remember this day.
0: Right away, he was put to work. Meeting the staff, getting to know the equipment around Dr. Fata's four clinics, the infusion room where patients received chemotherapy was a sight to see.
3: It was like a parking lot for chemo chairs. Chemo chairs in rooms, chemo chairs in the open. You had single chemo chairs. You had ones in a group with four at a time. It was far as the eye could see, you saw this sea of chemo chairs.
0: The waiting room stayed filled with at least 30 patients at a time. Busy was an understatement.
3: It would be like in a barber shop where one person is in a chair and then they sweep off the uh, hair and the next person would get in that chair. There was never a moment where that chair wasn't being used and running and humming and the equipment and supplies all had to be there or else the machine, I called it, would start to break down.
0: It was after 7 p.m. when George wrapped up his first day he left when Dr. Fata left. He was beat. On his way home, he wondered whether he'd have the energy to last the week. Still, he felt satisfied. He felt like he was doing more than just going to work. He felt like he had purpose.
3: It made me feel good that all the time and the energy that I spent there, it wasn't a waste. It was something that really impacted people positively. And I believed, at the time, that he was doing God's work.
0: George's job as office manager didn't let up. As far as he could tell, Dr. Fata ran a tight ship with a high volume of patients. And not only that, he was expanding and fast.
3: And if you listen to the patients... When they talk about Dr. Fata, it's all good. It's, you know, Camelot.
0: George didn't interact with patients much, but part of his job was to read the suggestion box. Some patients complained about the hours-long waits to see Dr. Fata. Others said, you should feed us since we have to be here so long. Most of them, though, gave George the impression that Dr. Fata's patients thought the world of him.
3: Dr. Fata is a kind, compassionate person. You hear that all the time. He appeared to listen to you and be compassionate toward your problems, uh, soft-spoken.
0: But Dr. Fata wasn't George's doctor. He was his boss, and he saw a different side of the man. On multiple occasions, Dr. Fata had meltdowns about his employees' timesheets and tasked George with reprimanding them. In one email, he wrote, Endless problem followed by a list of employees who clocked out a single minute over their 40 hours worked. Serious problem, Dr. Fata reiterated in capital letters. I need to see a copy of the incident report.
3: I thought he was excessive. He was a person that tend to over-dramatize problems.
0: If employees weren't exactly where they were supposed to be at all times, Dr. Fata wanted them investigated. But George just wrote it off. You know, occupational stress.
3: If you work that many hours, you're going to have moments where that's going to happen. You don't make the stretch that he's some sort of serial killer.
1: Have you ever had a dream? Something you wanted so bad you just couldn't let it go? For a group of kids in Harlem in the 80s, their dream would change pop music forever. I'm Taraji P. Henson, and when I was growing up in D.C., there was a new sound we were all listening to, non-stop. It was a little bit of R&B and a little bit of hip-hop, and you couldn't help but shake your booty to it.
2: We just knew we had something different and that it was special, and we wasn't gonna let it go.
1: It's a story of friendship. Carolyn did it. <laughs> And what it cost them.
2: There's a
3: high note at the end. Like right before I get to sing the high note, there's a gunshot. And the whole crowd just splits like the Red Sea.
1: Wondery and Universal Music Group present Jacked, Rise of the New Jack Sound. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The perfect life is shattered in an instant. Everything changes, and nothing stays hidden in The Undoing, HBO's new thriller starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. A chasm opens in their lives when a murder sends their New York City community into a frenzy. Stream The Undoing now on HBO Max, and stay tuned right now for a trailer.
0: The thrill of adultery is that
1: it exists in the shadow.
2: We can lose ourselves sometimes. But it doesn't undo who we are. People conceal the ugly truths. Why were you there that night? to protect themselves? I had
0: this idea of a perfect family. George himself was beginning to feel the stress of the 10 to 12 hour workdays. He barely had time to do his laundry, much less have a social life. A few months into the job, he started getting offers from other places willing to pay him just as much to work regular hours. So George went to Dr. Fada and put in his resignation. Dr. Fada had other plans. He invited George to dinner.
3: I was fully expecting to go to a dinner uh, that was at a fine restaurant because he wanted to talk to me about the future of the practice and how much he appreciated me.
0: After all, George knew where Dr. Fata dined with the pharmaceutical reps. If you wanted a dinner with Dr. Fata, you had to offer the best white tablecloth restaurants in Detroit.
3: But he took me to Big Boy as if I was a kid.
0: Big Boy, the fast food burger joint with the chubby mascot in red checkered
3: overalls. I said, "Okay, that's fine. We'll go to Big Boy. I haven't been here in um, 30 years, but let's go. So we go there and he looks at me and he goes, no, you can order anything you want. I'm looking at him and I said, you know how much you pay me? I can go to nice restaurants too, you know.
0: When they got down to business, George was straight with Dr. Fata. Nothing personal, he told him. He just wanted a job with normal hours. Dr. Fata responded by saying he had big plans for the practice. He was going to expand, and he was hoping that George would stick around. He said, we can't do it without you. And then Dr. Fata made his big offer.
3: He offered me somewhere like $40,000 to stay, just to stay. And I'm like, I was like looking at him with my jaw dropped to the ground almost, and I said, I could do that.
0: Over the coming months, George helped Michigan Hematology Oncology open three more clinics. He knew Dr. Fata was particular and was starting to wonder about how he treated his patients. Occasionally, George would hear Dr. Fata in his office on the phone He could only hear one side of the conversation, but a few times he thought he heard Dr. Fata sound indignant if a patient questioned his treatment plan. If they didn't do things exactly the way he wanted them done, he would tell them to find a different doctor.
3: He really felt that uh, he had your best interests, but it was like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with patients who didn't agree to what he wanted to have done.
0: If Dr. Fata was frustrated with patients in the office, he usually kept it to himself. On rare occasions, he vented to George, minor complaints that any doctor might have about their work, not the Mr. Hyde things he heard when Dr. Fata was too loud in his private office. But one day, around late 2012, was different. All day, Dr. Fata seemed to be in good spirits. He wasn't irritable or tired like he tended to be during a particularly long day. So George was surprised when Dr. Fata marched into his office, visibly angry.
3: And he told me that this patient chose not to have any therapy. And he was incensed, like, like, how dare he? And he explained that, well, let him go, let him go. Let's see if he gets better treatment. Let's see what happens to him in six months. And I thought to myself, that's a little harsh.
0: It was so harsh, it made George wonder, did Dr. Fata really even care what happened to this patient?
3: He treated that particular encounter like he had lost a sale. Like it was a used car dealer whose customer just walked out on him, said, I'm not going to buy it.
0: It was becoming more clear to George what Dr. Fata actually cared about, growing his business and making money. In a little over a year since George had started, Dr. Fata's empire had grown from four clinics to seven. And that wasn't all. Dr. Fata formed his own pharmacy.
3: And he sent an email out to everybody saying, no one is allowed to refer outside of our own pharmacy. They have to go to my pharmacy. I don't care if they have... It in their network or not.
0: Then, Dr. Fata opened his own diagnostic center. With a PET scan machine, he could run full-body tests on patients to detect certain cancers. He no longer needed to rely on machines and radiologists in hospitals. He also started talking to specialists in every area of medicine dietrists, surgeons, cardiologists, trying to convince them to be part of a new group that he formed. He called the group Michigan Institute of Professionals, which would essentially be an internal referral system. His end goal was surely ambitious. He wanted to run his own hospital system by February of 2014. And the more George watched him operate, the more he became convinced that helping patients was secondary to his boss.
3: Fata was like King Midas. All he was concerned with, everything he touched, turned to money.
0: In June of 2013, Dr. Fata had a new task for George. Their clinic in Lapeer, about an hour's drive north of Detroit, needed a new doctor.
3: I looked at him strangely and I said, you're talking about a different office, right? Not Lapeer. He goes, no, no, in Lapeer.
0: George had recruited for Dr. Fata before, but Lapeer, a small rural town, was barely any good for business. The attending physician there, Dr. So Mangale, only had a small number of patients
3: each week. Dr. Fada in one day would have 70 patients, you see, and we couldn't barely maintain that office. So it made no sense that to have two doctors. So I asked Dr. Fada over and over again, is this the office that you want me to recruit for? He goes, yes. I asked him, is Dr. Monkley leaving? And he said, no, no, Just I want you to get it.
0: George didn't ask any more questions and began looking for a doctor. Around this time, George says he also had a couple of conversations with Dr. Mongley. Dr. Mongley remembers these conversations differently, but according to George, Dr. Mongley told him he was leaving.
3: Can you tell me why? And then he he points up at the ceiling and he whispers to me, cameras.
0: Dr. Mongley and George found a more private place to talk. He told George he got another job out of state. But George was not prepared for what else he heard.
3: Dr. Fada has been doing some things that you wouldn't believe. He has been administering chemotherapy to patients without need. He was taking patients off of hospice and putting them on chemotherapy. And then he was taking patients without disease and giving them chemotherapy to the very last day of life. And I'm suggesting that you go. You leave now if you can.
0: Did this mean Dr. Fata was doing this to all his patients? His practice had been open for nearly eight years. What about those patients who had come and gone? What about those patients who had died?
4: Imagine you're a parent, nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room. A doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt. You begin to realize that they are asking about your involvement in the accident. Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think you hurt your child intentionally. From Wondery and NBC News, Do No Harm is the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbaugh chronicles what happens to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next. With exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded, Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright family's fight to protect their children. Subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad-free.
0: Michelle Manarino is an interior designer in Clarkson, Michigan. For nearly her entire life, she lived within a half hour of her mother.
5: Everyone likes to think they had the best mother in the world. I truly had the most amazing mother.
0: In 2009, Michelle's mother, Joan Donahue, was an active 75-year-old.
5: She worked full-time, actually, at our parish, taking care of the priest and all of the needs that he had, she cooked, cleaned, did laundry, wrapped a gift for the Pope. Then,
0: in late September, Joan got sick.
5: My mother had been a breast cancer survivor, but had passed the five-year mark, and we thought that was all in our rearview mirror.
0: Right away, Joan started seeing Dr. Fata, who told her her breast cancer was back and had spread to her brain. He prescribed three months of chemotherapy and then they would reevaluate. Joan had reservations about the chemo. She remembered what it was like the first time around. It's a treatment where you can leave feeling worse than when you came in. You can
5: lose your hair. It can affect every aspect of your life. She had always been very much into natural healings and felt that with cancer, There was a lot of greed in the whole cancer industry. She chose to do the chemo.
0: She also saw a radiologist to treat the tumor in her brain. And after three months, her cancer was in remission. But Dr. Fata said she would need to stay on the chemo.
5: He said, no, no, you're you're a miracle how you've responded so well to your treatment, but it's a very aggressive cancer, and unless you take three more months, it could come back, and if it comes back, it will come back that much stronger, and it will kill you this time.
0: The news that she would have to keep enduring chemo, even after her cancer went into remission, crushed Joan. Michelle tried to console her mother, At the very least, they felt like the worst was behind them. If three more months could keep the cancer at bay once and for all, then it would be worth it. A few months later, Joan's lungs started to fill with fluid. She was having a hard time breathing and ended up in the hospital. There, Michelle started doing some research about the drugs that Joan was taking and learned that a side effect of one of them was congestive heart failure. Her father had died of congestive heart failure and had developed fluid in his lungs, too. By Joan's next appointment with Dr. Fata, they were hopeful that she could finally be done with the chemo. But now, the fluid in her lungs was causing complications.
5: And... Dr. Fada now tells us that there were live cancer cells in the fluid that was drained from her lungs. So she is going to have to continue chemotherapy for another three months. And that did not go over well. (laughs) My, My mom really broke down crying then. Michelle spoke up. She told
0: him that she'd been doing some research on her own and she thought that there was one drug he'd been giving her mom for much longer than called for
5: could lead to congestive heart failure. And he looked at me and he said, Oh, are you in the medical profession? I said, No, I'm an interior decorator. (laughs) He said, Oh, well, remember, I did do my fellowship at Sloan Kettering. Certainly, you're not questioning, where did you get your information from? And I said, on the internet. So all of a sudden, I look like the idiot who picks out throw pillows for a living, and I am questioning the renowned oncologist on whether or not there were actual live cancer cells in the fluid that they removed.
0: Michelle wanted to see the report, but Dr. Fata didn't have it. He began comforting Joan, saying, I know how difficult this is on you, but he made it clear to her that her cancer was aggressive. Each of these appointments with Dr. Fata brought worse news.
5: First it was gonna be three months, six months. Now she's done nine months and you're saying she has to stay on this. And he said, I'm afraid to tell you, I think your mother will have to stay on this for her whole life to live. At which point we were like,
0: Michelle was beginning to wonder if her mother even still had cancer. She wanted a second opinion, but it was taking too long to get in with another doctor. In August 2010, Joan's lungs began filling with fluid again. Michelle met with the surgeon who would be draining her mother's lungs and asked him to look at the fluid to see if he found live cancer cells. He agreed, but when Michelle contacted him for the results, he apologized and said that he'd misplaced them.
5: I was like, oh my God, can we catch a break on this or not here? I thought I had kind of worked out kind of a foolproof way to find out if indeed what he was saying about there being some live cancer was true or not.
0: On September
5: 26,
0: 2010, Joan dressed herself for dinner as she always did. She went down the stairs and was greeted by the whole family. Since she'd gotten sick, her children and grandchildren began meeting more regularly at Michelle's house for family dinner.
5: We'd laughed, we'd talked. She had her favorite pie for dessert. (laughs) It was blueberry pie. And we had just a lovely, lovely night.
0: After dinner, Joan said goodnight to everyone and climbed the two flights of stairs back to her bedroom. In the morning, Michelle went to check on Joan.
5: She had said, Oh, honey, I'm in so much pain. I was calling you during the night, but you didn't hear me. I said, Oh, mom, why didn't you come and get me? She said, Oh, I didn't want to disturb you, Um, but I'm really in so much pain.
0: Joan was experiencing severe pain in her abdomen, and it wasn't going away with an over the counter painkiller. She needed something stronger. Michelle tried to call Dr. Fata, but he wasn't in. Joan needed to go to the emergency room.
5: She did not want to go to the hospital in the worst way. She said, Oh, please, honey, just find me some some something for the pain. But since I couldn't find anything for the pain, I had to go to a doctor to since I was unable to get it through Dr. Fada.
0: Michelle felt like she had no choice. She and her sister took Joan to St. Joe's hospital right away. And there, the staff wanted to give Joan morphine.
5: Oh gosh, my mom is a real narcotics virgin. I mean, she's been, this whole year, she's a leave as her, you know, heavy hitter. Is there something more mild that you can give her? And they said yes, and they gave her Dilaudid. When they gave her the Dilaudid, she immediately fell asleep. I mean, out.
0: Dilaudid is another painkiller. Joan fell asleep so quickly, it worried her daughters.
5: They called, um, apparently, Dr. Fada's office at the ER and were told that he would come and assess the situation. And so no doctor, nothing, no one did anything with her. As the hospital records tell about her anxious family, <laughs> well, the anxious family was saying a doctor needs to look at her. Someone needs to look at her. She's still sleeping. Two and a half hours passed, and when we got her to the room, they said, "Well, how long has your mother been coding?" And we said, "What do you mean? She she was walking this this morning. What do you
0: mean?" Coding meant that Joan's body was shutting down. She was barely breathing the staff announced a code blue to alert the emergency team that Joan was in need of resuscitation.
5: And she was just in excruciating pain.
0: Michelle and her sister did everything they could to make Joan comfortable, but the pain didn't subside. Both of them held her for two hours straight, and finally Joan couldn't take it anymore.
5: She just looked at my sister and I and said, I'm so sorry, girls but I'm just going to have to die.
0: The next morning, Dr. Fata finally reached the hospital. His only recommendation was to call in hospice. He wanted her admitted that day, and he insisted that she go to one in particular, Guardian Angel Hospice.
5: It's like an out-of-body experience that day, to go from where my mom was healthy enough to go up and down stairs to all of a sudden she's dying and we're calling in hospice.
0: But Joan didn't make it to hospice. She died within a few hours, exactly a year from her first appointment with Dr. Fata. In the hall outside of Joan's room, her daughter Michelle asked the medical staff, what happened here?
5: They explained that, you know, Dr. Fada really takes care of his patients. And he had told their ER doctor that he would prescribe whatever needed to be prescribed.
0: On her drive home that evening, Michelle couldn't make sense of it. The months of chemo, her sudden turn for the worse.
5: Everything happened wrong. None of this is the way it was should have been. There wasn't a day that went by that I wouldn't say, oh, dear God, what have we done to my poor mother?
0: Joan had believed that Dr. Fata had been treating her for the breast cancer that had spread to her brain, except among the drugs that Dr. Fata had been giving her was something else, a secret that would be hidden in Joan's records for years, until some unexpected news led Michelle to look again. She found that Dr. Fata had been giving Michelle's mom a powerful drug for a condition that Joan never had. And there were others, maybe hundreds, just like her.
3: I remember my attorney, he said, stop doing what you're doing. Don't investigate anymore. At this point, just let the FBI take over.
0: That's on the next episode of Dr. Death, Season 2. From Wondery, this is Episode 2 of 6 of Dr. Death, Season 2. The next episode will be out in a week, but listen to it right now, ad-free, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a 5-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. In the episode notes, you'll find links and some offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. I'm your host, Laura Beal. Heather Schrering wrote and reported this story. Associate producer is Chris Siegel. Story editor is Casey Minor. Fact-checking by Jacqueline Colletti. Additional production assistance from Daniel Gonzalez. Managing producer is Lotha Pandya. Sound design by Jeff Schmidt. Our executive producers are George Lavender, Marshall Louis, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery.